Chapter Twenty Five of Supplements to the Second Book from the World as Will and Idea, Volume Three by Arthur Schopenhauer, translated by R. B. Haldane and J. Kemp. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter Twenty Five: Transcendent Considerations Concerning the Will as Thing in Itself even the merely empirical consideration of nature recognizes a constant transition from the simplest and most necessary manifestation of a universal force of nature up to the life and consciousness of man himself through gentle gradations and with only relative and for the most part fluctuating limits reflection following this view and penetrating somewhat more deeply into it will soon be led to the conviction that in all these phenomena the inner nature that which manifests itself that which appears is one and the same which comes forth ever more distinctly and accordingly that what exhibits itself in a million forms of infinite diversity and so carries on the most varied and the strangest play without beginning or end this is one being which is so closely disguised behind all these masks that it does not even recognize itself and therefore often treats itself roughly thus the great doctrine of the en kai pan early appeared both in the east and in the west and in spite of all contradiction has asserted itself or at least constantly revived we however have now entered even deeper into the secret since by what has already been said we have been led to the insight that when in any phenomenon a knowing consciousness is added to that inner being which lies at the foundation of all phenomena a consciousness which when directed inwardly becomes self-consciousness then that inner being presents itself to this self-consciousness as that which is so familiar and so mysterious and is denoted by the word will accordingly we have called that universal fundamental nature of all phenomena the will after that manifestation in which it unveils itself to us most fully and by this word nothing is further from our intention than to denote an unknown x but on the contrary we denote that which at least on one side is infinitely better known and more intimate than anything else let us now call to mind a truth the fullest and most thorough proof of which will be found in my prize essay on the freedom of the will the truth that on account of the absolutely universal validity of the law of causality the conduct or the action of all existences in this world is always strictly necessitated by the causes which in each case call it forth and in this respect it makes no difference whether such an action has been occasioned by causes in the strictest sense of the word or by stimuli or finally by motives for these differences refer only to the grade of the susceptibility of the different kinds of existences on this point we must entertain no illusion the law of causality knows no exception but everything from the movement of a mote in a sunbeam to the most deeply considered action of man is subject to it with equal strictness therefore in the whole course of the world neither could a mote in a sunbeam describe any other line in its flight than it has described nor a man act any other way than he has acted 
and no truth is more certain than this that all that happens be it small or great happens with absolute necessity consequently at every given moment of time the whole condition of all things is firmly and accurately determined by the condition which has just preceded it and so is it with the stream of time back to infinity and on to infinity thus the course of the world is like that of a clock after it has been put together and wound up thus from this incontestable point of view it is a mere machine the aim of which we cannot see even if quite without justification nay at bottom in spite of all conceivability and its conformity to law one should assume a first beginning nothing would thereby be essentially changed for the arbitrarily assumed first condition of things would at its origin have irrevocably determined and fixed both as a whole and down to the smallest detail the state immediately following it this state again would have determined the one succeeding it and so on per secula seculorum for the chain of causality with its absolute strictness this brazen bond of necessity and fate introduces every phenomenon irrevocably and unalterably just as it is the difference merely amounts to this that in the case of the one assumption we would have before us a piece of clockwork which had once been wound up but in the case of the other a perpetual motion the necessity of the course on the other hand would remain the same in the prize essay already referred to i have irrefutably proved that the action of man can make no exception here for i showed how it constantly proceeds with strict necessity from two factors his character and the motives which come to him the character is inborn and unalterable the motives are introduced with necessity under the guidance of causality by the strictly determined course of the world accordingly then from one point of view which we certainly cannot abandon because it is established by the objective laws of the world which are a priori valid the world with all that is in it appears as an aimless and therefore incomprehensible play of an eternal necessity an inscrutable and inexorable anagki now what is objectionable nay revolting in this inevitable and irrefutable view of the world cannot be thoroughly done away with by any assumption except this that as in one aspect every being in the world is a phenomenon and necessarily determined by the laws of the phenomenon in another aspect it is itself will and indeed absolutely free will for necessity only arises through the forms which belong entirely to the phenomenon through the principle of sufficient reason in its different modes such a will then must be self-dependent for as free that is as a thing in itself and therefore not subject to the principle of sufficient reason it cannot depend upon another in its being and nature any more than in its conduct and action by this assumption alone will as much freedom be supposed as is needed to counterbalance the inevitable strict necessity which governs the course of the world accordingly one has really only the choice either of seeing that the world is a mere machine which runs on of necessity or of recognizing a free will as its inner being whose manifestation is not directly the action but primarily the existence and nature of things this freedom is therefore transcendental 
and consists with empirical necessity in the same way as the transcendental ideality of phenomena consists with their empirical reality that only under this assumption the action of a man in spite of the necessity with which it proceeds from his character and the motives is yet his own i have shown in my prize essay on the freedom of the will with this however self-dependency is attributed to his nature the same relation holds good of all things in the world the strictest necessity carried out honestly with rigid consistency and the most perfect freedom rising to omnipotence had to appear at once and together in philosophy but without doing violence to truth this could only take place by placing the whole necessity in the acting and doing operari and the whole freedom in the being and nature essay thereby a riddle is solved which is as old as the world simply because it has hitherto always been held upside down and the freedom persistently sought in the operari the necessity in the essay i on the contrary say every being without exception acts with strict necessity but it exists and is what it is by virtue of its freedom thus with me freedom and necessity are to be met with neither more nor less than in any earlier system although now one and now the other must be conspicuous according as one takes offence that will is attributed to processes of nature which hitherto were explained from necessity or that the same strict necessity is recognised in motivation as in mechanical causality the two have merely changed places freedom has been transferred to the essay and necessity limited to the operari in short determinism stands firm for fifteen hundred years men have wearied themselves in vain to shake it influenced by certain crotchets which are well known but dare scarcely be called by their name yet in accordance with it the world becomes a mere puppet-show drawn by wires motives without it being even possible to understand for whose amusement if the piece has a plan then fate is the director if it has none then blind necessity there is no other deliverance from this absurdity than the knowledge that the being and nature of all things is the manifestation of a really free will which knows itself in them for their doing and acting cannot be delivered from necessity to save freedom from fate and chance it had to be transferred from the action to the existence as now necessity only affects the phenomenon not the thing in itself that is the true nature of the world so also does multiplicity this is sufficiently explained in section twenty five of the first volume i have only to add here one remark in confirmation and illustration of this truth every one knows only one being quite immediately his own will in self-consciousness everything else he knows only indirectly and then judges it by analogy with this a process which he carries further in proportion to the grade of his reflective powers even this ultimately springs from the fact that there really is only one being the illusion of multiplicity maya which proceeds from the forms of external objective comprehension could not penetrate to inner simple consciousness therefore this always finds before it only one being if we consider the perfection of the works of nature which can never be sufficiently admired 
and which even in the lowest and smallest organisms for example in the fertilizing parts of plants or in the internal construction of insects is carried out with as infinite care and unwearied labour as if each work of nature had been its only one upon which it was therefore able to expend all its art and power if we yet find this repeated an infinite number of times in each one of innumerable individuals of every kind and not less carefully worked out in that one whose dwelling-place is the most lonely neglected spot to which till then no eye had penetrated if we now follow the combination of the parts of every organism as far as we can and yet never come upon that one part which is quite simple and therefore ultimate not to speak of one which is inorganic if finally we lose ourselves in calculating the design of all those parts of the organism for the maintenance of the whole by virtue of which every living thing is complete in and for itself if we consider at the same time that each of these masterpieces itself of short duration has already been produced anew an innumerable number of times and yet every example of a species every insect every flower every leaf still appears just as carefully perfected as was the first of its kind thus that nature by no means wearies and begins to bungle but with equally patient master hand perfects the last like the first then we become conscious first of all that all human art is completely different not merely in degree but in kind from the works of nature and next that the working force the natura naturans in each of its innumerable works in the least as in the greatest in the last as in the first is immediately present whole and undivided from which it follows that as such and in itself it knows nothing of space and time if we further reflect that the production of these hyperboles of all works of art costs nature absolutely nothing so that with inconceivable prodigality she creates millions of organisms which never attain to maturity and without sparing exposes every living thing to a thousand accidents yet on the other hand if favoured by chance or directed by human purpose readily affords millions of examples of a species of which hitherto there was only one so that millions cost her no more than one this also leads us to see that the multiplicity of things has its root in the nature of the knowledge of the subject but is foreign to the thing in itself that is to the inner primary force which shows itself in things that consequently space and time upon which the possibility of all multiplicity depends are mere forms of our perception nay that even that whole inconceivable ingenuity of structure associated with the reckless prodigality of the works upon which it has been expended ultimately springs simply from the way in which things are apprehended by us for when the simple and indivisible original effort of the will exhibits itself as object in our cerebral knowledge it must appear as an ingenious combination of separate parts as means and ends of each other accomplished with wonderful completeness the unity of that will here referred to which lies beyond the phenomenon and in which we have recognized the inner nature of the phenomenal world is a metaphysical unity and consequently transcends the knowledge of it that is does not depend upon the functions of our intellect and therefore cannot really be comprehended by it hence it arises that it opens to the consideration an abyss so profound 
that it admits of no thoroughly clear and systematically connected insight but grants us only isolated glances which enable us to recognize this unity in this and that relation of things now in the subjective now in the objective sphere whereby however new problems are again raised all of which i will not engage to solve but rather appeal here to the words est quadam prodire tenus more concerned to set up nothing false or arbitrarily invented than to give a thorough account of it all at the risk of giving here only a fragmentary exposition if we call up to our minds and distinctly go through in thought the exceedingly acute theory of the origin of the planetary system first put forth by kant and later by laplace a theory of which it is scarcely possible to doubt the correctness we see the lowest crudest and blindest forces of nature bound to the most rigid conformity to law by means of their conflict for one and the same given matter and the accidental results brought about by this produce the framework of the world thus of the designedly prepared future dwelling-place of innumerable living beings as a system of order and harmony at which we are the more astonished the more distinctly and accurately we come to understand it for example if we see that every planet with its present velocity can only maintain itself exactly where it actually has its place because if it were brought nearer to the sun it would necessarily fall into it or if placed further from it would necessarily fly away from it how conversely if we take the place as given it can only remain there with its present velocity and no other because if it went faster it would necessarily fly away from the sun and if it went slower it would necessarily fall into it that thus only one definite place is suitable to each definite velocity of a planet and if we now see this solved by the fact that the same physical necessary and blindly acting cause which appointed it its place at the same time and just by doing so imparted to it exactly the only velocity suitable for this place in consequence of the law of nature that a revolving body increases its velocity in proportion as its revolution becomes smaller and moreover if finally we understand how endless permanence is assured to the whole system by the fact that all the mutual disturbances of the course of the planets which unavoidably enter must adjust themselves in time how then it is just the irrationality of the periods of revolution of jupiter and saturn to each other that prevents their respective perturbations from repeating themselves at one place whereby they would become dangerous and brings it about that appearing seldom and always at a different place they must sublate themselves again like dissonances in music which are again resolved into harmony by means of such considerations we recognize a design and perfection such as could only have been brought about by the freest absolute will directed by the most penetrating understanding and the most acute calculation and yet under the guidance of that cosmogony of laplace so well thought out and so accurately calculated we cannot prevent ourselves from seeing that perfectly blind forces of nature acting according to unalterable natural laws through their conflict and aimless play among themselves could produce nothing else but this very framework of the world which is equal to the work of an extraordinarily enhanced power of combination 
instead now after the manner of anaxagoras of dragging in the aid of an intelligence known to us only from animal nature and adapted only to its aims an intelligence which coming from without cunningly made use of the existing forces of nature and their laws in order to carry out its ends which are foreign to these we recognize in these lowest forces of nature themselves that same one will which indeed first manifests itself in them and already in this manifestation striving after its goal through its original laws themselves works towards its final end to which therefore all that happens according to blind laws of nature must minister and correspond and this indeed cannot be otherwise because everything material is nothing but just the phenomenal appearance the visibility the objectivity of the will to live which is one thus even the lowest forces of nature themselves are animated by that same will which afterwards in the individual beings provided with intelligence marvels at its own work as the somnambulist wonders in the morning at what he has done in his sleep or more accurately which is astonished at its own form which it beholds in the mirror this unity which is here proved of the accidental with the intentional of the necessary with the free on account of which the blindest chances which however rest upon universal laws of nature are as it were the keys upon which the world spirit plays its melodies so full of significance this unity i say is as has already been remarked an abyss in the investigation into which even philosophy can throw no full light but only a glimmer but i now turn to a subjective consideration belonging to this place to which however i am able to give still less distinctness than to the objective consideration which has just been set forth for i shall only be able to express it by images and similes why is our consciousness brighter and more distinct the further it extends towards without so that its greatest clearness lies in sense perception which already half belongs to things outside us and on the other hand grows dimmer as we go in and leads if followed to its inmost recesses to a darkness in which all knowledge ceases because i say consciousness presupposes individuality but this belongs to the mere phenomenon for it is conditioned by the forms of the phenomenon space and time as multiplicity of the similar our inner nature on the other hand has its root in that which is no longer phenomenon but thing in itself to which therefore the forms of the phenomenon do not extend and thus the chief conditions of individuality are wanting and with these the distinctness of consciousness falls off in this root of existence the difference of beings ceases like that of the radii of a sphere in the centre and as in the sphere the surface is produced by the radii ending and breaking off so consciousness is only possible where the true inner being runs out into the phenomenon through whose forms the separate individuality becomes possible upon which consciousness depends which is just on that account confined to phenomena therefore all that is distinct and thoroughly comprehensible in our consciousness always lies without upon the surface of the sphere whenever on the contrary we withdraw entirely from this consciousness forsakes us in sleep in death to a certain extent also in magnetic or magic influences for these all lead through the centre 
but just because distinct consciousness being confined to the surface of the sphere is not directed towards the centre it recognises other individuals certainly as of the same kind but not as identical which yet in themselves they are immortality of the individual might be compared to a point of the surface flying off at a tangent but immortality by virtue of the eternal nature of the inner being of the whole phenomenon may be compared to the return of that point on the radius to the centre of which the whole surface is just the extension the will as the thing in itself is whole and undivided in every being as the centre is an integral part of every radius while the peripherical end of this radius is in the most rapid revolution with the surface which represents time and its content the other end at the centre which represents eternity remains in the profoundest peace because the centre is the point at which the rising half is not different from the sinking therefore in the bhagavad-gita it is said haud distributum animantibus et quasi distributum tamen incidens animantiumque sustentaculum id cognoscendum edax et rurus genitale book thirteen verse sixteen schlegel certainly we fall here into mystical and figurative language but it is the only language in which anything can be said on this entirely transcendent theme so this simile also may pass the human race may be imagined as an animal compositum a form of life of which many polypi especially those which swim such as veritillum funiculina and others afford examples as in these the head isolates each individual animal and the lower part with a common stomach combines them all in the unity of one life process so the brain with its consciousness isolates the human individual while the unconscious part the vegetative life with its ganglion system into which in sleep the brain consciousness disappears like a lotus which nightly sinks in the flood is a common life of all by means of which in exceptional cases they can even communicate as for example occurs when dreams communicate themselves directly the thoughts of the mesmerizer pass into the somnambulist and finally also in the magnetic or generally magical influence proceeding from intentional willing such an influence if it occurs is toto genere different from every other on account of the influxus physicus which takes place for it is really an actio in distans which the will certainly proceeding from the individual yet performs in its metaphysical quality as the omnipresent substratum of the whole of nature one might also say that as in the generatio equivoca there sometimes and as an exception appears a weak residue of the original creative power of the will which in the existing forms of nature has already done its work and is extinguished so there may be exceptionally acting in these magical influences as it were a surplus of its original omnipotence which completes its work and spends itself in the construction and maintenance of the organisms i have spoken fully of this magical property of the will in the will in nature and i gladly omit here discussions which have to appeal to uncertain facts which yet cannot be altogether ignored or denied End of chapter 25, recording by expatriate in Bangor, Maine.